So, should we uh, get into the Taylor Swift section yeah. of our discussion? Yeah, yeah, let's leave Should be a lot shorter it. than <laughs> last week. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, has anybody listened to any of last uh, the last album songs in the week that has passed? You know what I did? I thought to myself, yeah. oh, I should, this should get a head start on listening to Fearless. And I was like, wait, that's not how the format of this works. You can't listen to it's any Taylor works. Swift in the non-Taylor Swift listening week. And so the <laughs> options completely left my mind. So no, I didn't forget to listen to any of uh, uh, Taylor Swift's first oh, album Oh, you didn't again. have to. I just didn't know if it had uh, creeped into your subconscious. And you're like, ah, oh, yes, I really want to listen to A Place in This World right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rave, no listens I... from you. I also did not, if you can believe it. Well, you know, uh, Evermore actually just hit its uh, second week at number one on the Billboard wow. this week. Wow. So um, she doesn't need it. She really, <laughs> she really doesn't, doesn't need. It. She, she doesn't does. need the, the curiosity pity streams. From, she sincerely from doesn't care. <laughs> but did anyone look for the Glockenspiel, Daniel? <laughs> you know, as I sat down and pressed record, I realized that I forgot to look for the Glockenspiel. But I did wow. have a, a good time listening to a few of the songs. I listened to the outside today, and I definitely mm. as soon as we finished our discussion, I listened to our song like three times. Mm. I was like, it's just such a it's a good track. Yeah, it is a good um, track. So. Um, this week, we are going to be looking at her second studio album, Fearless. And now, the background information on this is that it was released in 2008 when she was 18 years old. Um, mm. She wrote and recorded the songs as she was actually doing promotion for the last album. And again, this was one where I was like, okay, she has now had a couple hits. She has access in, to resources within, within the music industry. This is where she's going to have a ton of co-writes on this album. This like this is the one where a bunch of people worked with her. And again, we do have um, we do have some more co-writes. We have the same people from last time. So we have Liz Rose as a co-write on a lot of the songs and producer Nathan Chapman. And we now have Hillary Lindsay and John Rich as co-writes. Um, but for the most part, Eight out of the 13 songs are solely written by Taylor Swift, and she also acted as a co-record producer uh, working with Nathan Chapman on this album. So she's even going above and beyond the last record. Last time it was three songs just written by her, now it's eight songs. She's really trying to say, you know, this is my voice and this is my vision. And I I honestly, you know what? I could do this on my own. I don't need help. I'll work with people, but I don't need to. And what was so impressive to me was I, I knew that she won the Grammy for the album of the year in 2010. What I didn't know was that she was actually the youngest recipient of that award when she won it at uh, age 20. And it is still the most awarded album in country music history. It spent Mm. 11 weeks at number one. So this is, this is really a big one for, um, for Taylor. Like the last one, definitely a success, but this one, you know, if you as an artist only release a fearless, like you're already happy. And obviously she's gone <laughs> above and beyond that since then. But we've had some big songs from this album. Um, most notably, we have the first single, which is Love Story. She then followed it up with the singles White Horse, You Belong With Me, and 15, all of which are near and dear to my heart. And certainly, <laughs> at least some of them are known to all, everybody on this podcast. So my question is... Uh, for you two, do you know any of these songs? And what are you expecting from the next record? What would you want her to carry over from the first record? And what do you what would you like her to improve upon in terms of her songwriting? Um, so I know um, Love Story, uh, mm-hmm. a famous uh, 
performance by me in uh, this like sixth grade end of the year talent show was me singing <laughs> to a, a very uh, loud karaoke track of Love Story and me singing very <laughs> quietly because this did not go well. Um, Everybody has sung Love Story. Uh, honestly. <laughs> I, I, specifically, um, I specifically heard it three times at my sixth grade talent show mm. and um i remember the first there was like a specific like amount of time that you could be at the talent show it was like three and a half minutes whatever and i think the song is like maybe mm. four so it's a little bit long so i remember the first girl that came up and sang love story she got to the bridge and it was like when i met you on the outskirts of town and then she like motioned to cut <gasps> it there and then first of all the person like watching like off stage and turned the recording was like not really paying attention, so it like went instrumentally into like um the big like the Romeo same like the big thing, but she was just like <laughs> standing there like cut cut cut, and then it just sort of like awkwardly cut in the middle, and then like she just like sort of walked to the side because she was like I guess my song is done, and then like the next two girls sang it, and they just did the whole song, and this whole time I'm like watching this first girl, and I'm like this is her villain origin story, like she was getting angry, <laughs> angrier and angrier that all the other girls just got to sing the full version of Love Story. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That would have been me. I would have been like, oh I cannot God. go over the time limit. They will hate me yeah. if I do. <laughs> I like I have to wonder, like, what's she doing now? And is she is she able to listen to Love Story without like bile like growing within her? <laughs> oh gosh. So I'm familiar with You Belong With Me, classic. Listened to that one a lot. Loved it. Um mm-hmm. I think probably after that. I've heard like fifteen, like a little, but mm-hmm. only in passing. That's all I know of it. Um, overall, I'm expecting probably to like this album a bit more than the first one, just because there's more um, nostalgia for me, and I feel like Absolutely. it's going a bit more into like the 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 poppier sound that I've like just heard in general more of Taylor Swift. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, in terms of musically, I don't know. I, I did really like, as I mentioned before, like the orchestration and the instrumentation. And like that was very full on her first album. And it was a very pleasant surprise. So I hope that continues on uh, all of the tracks that I haven't heard before. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm also looking forward to see if there's going to be a, a kind of full circle moment across the album. Like we discovered there was the first time. That was very exciting. Ooh, we'll have to look for that. I hadn't thought about that, but... um. Hopefully there is an arc and like off the t- I have I, I obviously have avoided listening to this album for a while just to get a sort of fresh listen. But off the top of my head, I feel like this is one of the better um, tracked and paced albums. Mm. So I'm gonna have to see if we can figure out a thesis. Ah, exciting <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to see. <laughs> How about you, Rafe? Um, yeah, I kind of feel similarly to Emily. I I think definitely love story. You belong with me. Um, are probably my top two listens from this one i feel like just looking at the tracks right now i'm like i feel like i've heard 15 i feel like i've heard like some of the titles i'm like that just seems too familiar for me to have just like looked at it now and been like oh a song yeah yeah. um so like even like breathe and like white horse i feel like i probably will like at least recognize Mm -hmm. um yeah i'm really excited for this one um i think it will be, I, funnily enough, like, I, I'm, I'm having this weird feeling now that I'm like, I think I'm actually going to, there's going to be, I think my least favorite part of, of this, of Taylor Swift's music is going to be, like, the middle, like, poppiest vibe, in mm. a way. Um, so I'm excited for this album because I feel like it'll be a nice, 
it is like a nice sort of cross between her like country and like getting into a more like popular, you know, poppy like vibe. Um, yeah. But it's, um, it's um, still country pop before it goes pop country and then. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I feel like she hones in on the specificity of her. Honestly, of her, I guess maybe of her storytelling, because I feel like I think about Love Story and You Belong With Me, at least, as examples of that already, of, like, they have such strong narratives. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But that that's what I'm looking forward to, the, the, yeah, the narrative. Yeah, hopefully she leans into her specificity, which, you know, looking at yeah. the track list, we have a song called Hey Steven, so it looks hey like Steven. we got some more uh, personal call-outs for her classmates in this album. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, this album, I, it really, I joke about it being iconic, but, like, there's so few artists that have, like, those standard evergreen songs or songs that will always be on, like, the karaoke playlist that, like, everybody will always know, or at least for a long time remaining will know, and, like, Love Story and even arguably You Belong With Me are like right off the bat, like two incredibly iconic songs in, you know, pop music and definitely not the only ones in our discography. So it's it's really going to be interesting to hear what those sound like now and how they fit in with the rest of the album. So yeah. I'm really excited to jump in. Yeah. And um, great. I guess I'll see you in a week. Yeah. See you then. <laughs> Yahoo. <laughs> okay. So we all listen to Fearless endlessly, 20, 30, maybe 40 times a day for the past week. Mm-hmm. And we yes. have lots of thoughts. Um, Part of that's all, true. And now having all listened to the debut episode even. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so really I'll see myself out. <laughs> now even having listened to that, um, what are our initial thoughts on Fearless? Let's go. I will say this. I liked it so much more than the first album. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Me too. It's like, I, I really enjoyed it. And that was kind of my thought going into it, that I would probably, as it, as it goes a bit more towards pop, as it goes a bit more like country rock, mm. that I would be a bit more enjoyable just for me. But even like the ideas in the songs and narratives that she worked with, the lyrics, I just, I really enjoyed this one overall so much more than the first one, which was still very strong. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree. To me, I was thinking if the first album felt like her diary pages, this one felt more cinematic, like the movie she was crafting yes, in her yes. mind. Yes, I wrote down movie in so many pa- places. There was just such a, a layer of like reflection yes. and looking back retroactively and I really appreciated it. It was an element I didn't, I couldn't really place on what I was missing from the first album, which is like the nuance of, of like age and time and Mm -hmm. looking back at who you are in your school days and being able to think about it differently in your twenties in, in the years that come after. Absolutely. And I, I personally feel like she writes about, she writes about childhood like an adult even from mm. the point of being a child. But of course, when people talk, you're, you're absolutely right. When you talk about your childhood as an adult, you have all these things that you've learned and grown from. And she's still in the throes of learning all those lessons. Right. <laughs> so, it's, so like there's age of maturity, but also, oh, wait, no, she's still a teenager. Right. <laughs> there's nothing right. to I reflect think... on yet. There's no distance. <laughs> absolutely. I think this album really showcased a very 
interesting balance between like the young romances and the high school sweethearts and everything that took up a lot of the material of her first album but then sensing that there is going to be some new material some new life experiences that are influencing what she's thinking about and what she's writing about and that was very exciting to hear for me i'll say on the second listen through i changed my mind and do think that i enjoyed this album better but the first listen through i was like maybe i like the first album better for some reason i think Mm -hmm. it comes down to the fact that um i'm sure we'll talk about this later but i feel like the middle of the album for me is a particularly like weak section and i found myself just kind of like slogging through it in a way just like um some of these songs have taken time to grow on me yeah Um, definitely especially um But yeah, there's like a there's like a slightly distanced perspective, but but more to say that there is like a perspective on on the songs as opposed to as you guys were saying like the the rawness of just like first experience of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think that's especially prevalent in songs like Fifteen, in songs like like Forever and Always too. I think they all they all have this layer of like um, retrospective, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. And I think what a, a benefit of the maybe it's the retrospective aspect of it or the fact that she's writing in a more cinematic way is that mm-hmm. she's acting the songs a lot more on this album. Mm-hmm. There's a Absolutely. lot more personality, yeah. strong personality choices where this bit is spoken or this is almost you know, there's a cry in parts of in, in, in the lyric and the way she's singing it. And it felt very very theatrical in the way she decided to perform the songs on the album excellent point because even in like the moments that there's much to the narrative that she was putting forth and maybe i was getting lost a little lost either musically or lyrically she would bring me in whenever i saw that it really mattered to her and that was so interesting in and of itself to like hear her connection and to hear her coming out as a performer a bit more in the music and seeing yeah. what really spoke to her. That was so a hundred percent engaging 100%. in a whole different way. I was just gonna say, I feel like also if you look at some of the times where she was adding or you know, there were there were more additions of personality in the first album, these these feel um those felt sometimes a little artificial, um, mm-hmm. in a way. And and these feel much more grounded in, as you guys were saying, like just her actual intention like the 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 feeling and the meaning behind the song really lends itself to that like larger theatricality of the performances i think this feels more genuine in a way too this is going to sound a little bit contradictory but within (laughs) the context of the album she admits that she is playing upon movies and and fairy tales she admits that this mm, is a little mm-hmm. bit of acting and the first mm-hmm. one she's kind of sell like i'm just a country girl and this right. is my actual life but in this album she kind of gets away from the the forced accent and she says yes i am crafting these fairy tale narratives but this is my emotional truth so yeah of course i'm going to be performing it but that doesn't mean that it's not true to me right yeah and i think that's what makes it feel even though it's more, in a way, it's performative in a different way, it feels more genuine. It hits home more so well, yeah. with me. I think when you have the awareness that you're using all of these things metaphorically in, in order to take a very personal story and to be able to relate it 
on this more relatable idea of fairy tales and and larger than life scenarios i think the the knowledge of that as a narrative tool is what makes it very successful and very um genuine as we were talking about it's it's not talk it's it's the idea of like taylor swift's specificity being applied in like general terms like a way in which to get this get this uh lived experience and have it resonate in a way through her lyrics and through the songs that are drawing on all of this familiar imagery yeah yeah i think that's totally true and i think that transitions us perfectly into our first vignette our first song our (laughs) title track fearless so how do we feel about our opening track really liked it yes and i will be saying that for a number of the songs so (laughs) get ready i'm excited i (laughs) i thought one just the image of dancing in a parking lot that one just hit me as someone who's danced in a parking lot and it's in my mind like that was a magic time it's like that is a magic time it's like well done great lyric um i love 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 so many of these bridges starting with fearless's bridge it's it's like what a fantastic utilization of the bridge in so many of these tracks um and immediately after the bridge they introduce like this first recurring tool of kind of paring down the uh, chorus orchestration and having it be this inner moment and then really getting that build back up with the instrumentation um and it's so effective you get this you get this close personal experience and then you get all of the excitement that comes with it and i'm just i just so enjoyed the journey of this song i so yes enjoyed how well looking back on it it set the tone for the rest of the album i think it was a perfect opening track and i think that some of the (laughs) i think that a lot of the um also it's i don't know if it was this one you know i'll say it in a uh, later point oh i loved the electric guitar solo i loved the electric guitar throughout this album yeah Um, in addition to the in addition to the strings which i will talk about later when they're more prominent but it's like the instrumentation of this album just got to me it got to my my dramatic alt rock um it was interests. very alt rock and i can't wait to talk about that but so, there were songs yes. that were reminding me of like evanescence avril lavigne even like she was going mm, really alt rock and then yeah. you had these beautiful orchestra violins and cellos and the, yes. There were so many times where I was like, maybe if, if they just took out like the one guitar, the one banjo, this is just, this is like a punk rock song or this is a, right. this is like a theatrical musical song. Like this, this is so Absolutely. far beyond it the just, scope it of just country. Had, yeah. It had such uh, an exhilaration to this opening number that I just so enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I wrote the exhilaration with two <laughs> exclamation marks. Exclamation Absolutely. Points. And it starts so obviously confidently the album title is fearless but if you remember the first uh, the first song on her last album on her first album tim mcgraw it's a very quiet that that plucky sentimental guitar and banjo combination that sort of fades its way in this is a very percussive drum hit and it just drives you right into yes. this song and at the beginning very beginning of the song the first couple measures it's all very center the music is 
pretty compressed. It sounds similar to something you would hear on her first album. And then you hear more instruments come in, panned left and right in your in your ears. And it sounds much more stereo. It's a much more rich sound. And you're being fully immersed mm-hmm. into this new world. And even sonically, it's telling you, yes, we're building on the same things of the first album, but we're filling it out a lot more. And this is going to be a much more three-dimensional sound and story that we're telling. I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think this is a very strong start um i think i i totally agree with you emily i think a lot of the bridges really um sold me on a lot of the songs in this album um and this is definitely one of them i think that she really makes i was thinking a lot about the the moment that she's creating with the end of the bridge as you discussed like she goes into this very quiet retrospective moment surrounding like this moment of of um i think a first kiss or at least a kiss Mm -hmm. um and i think she just makes that moment very worthwhile by um centering it on this story and this like quieting of being like wow that was that was like a really good cuss guys like you know yeah Um, so i I think that was nice for me yeah i i agree and i think for me i i also noticed this bridge and I don't know if it was an electric guitar or the growly guitar or, or bass. I think I, I wrote it down as a bass, but um, there's a line in in the chorus, the, the bass line, where it's like... Um, after the second chorus, there is this instrumental bridge and you hear that same bass line now as a solo line without the breaks in it, or so it's not holding on to any notes. It's just doing like a full walk up the scale without any of the hesitation that you're hearing in the chorus because she's becoming less and less hesitant and you're getting more and more propelled through the song. And I thought that was one of the great ways that they the instrumentation sold that story. Um, mm. I thought there were also a lot of great lyrical moments. I personally liked in the second verse when she says, in this one horse town, I want to stay right here. And she actually puts a breath between the words right and here. I want to stay right here in the passenger seat you put your arms around me and it kind of conveys two different things yes she wants to stay here in the passenger seat but she also wants to stay right she wants to make sure that she's not becoming a bad person because of the men she's around or the relationships that she's part of and mm-hmm. that even connects further along you know later on we'll hear white horse and that might connect to the line mm-hmm. in this one horse town i want to stay right like i don't want to be carried off on that white horse because that's not the person who I'm supposed to be. And so I thought there was a nice double meaning within that lyric, just in putting the breath, she changes the meaning. And definitely I I thought the bridge is what really sold the song. Uh, I really love the part where she says, it's the first kiss, it's flawless, really something. And she she starts to look for the word. And then she says, it's fearless. She finds it. And when, when she's saying that you have another walk up the bass in the chord, so you have it's it's the first kiss, it's flawless, really something, and you hold and you wait. It's fearless, and it's so satisfying to get uh, there. Um, absolutely. And you feel like her heart is is rising up, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, I can let myself feel these things." And what I noticed in this album is that she sings about the album title, of course, is fearless, but so much of what she sings about is things that she wishes she had done or wishes she had said. And in this moment, you know, when she's walking up, she's finding the words to be fearless, which literally in and of itself is fearless. 
what I want to talk about on this album, certainly in this song and in other songs, are these moving lines where you move up the scale and ones where you walk down the scale and what that what that means in the context of the song. Because you have this, it's the first kiss, it's flawless, really something. Um, and then you have a little bit of instrumental break and then you have this walk down the scale in probably a guitar, <laughs> but you have... Um, I don't know how it gets better than this. And just in one song, it doesn't necessarily, it, it doesn't have to mean a lot, but we'll start to see that this motive really comes to mean literally falling. The notes are falling and she's falling in love. She's allowing herself to feel mm -hmm. things. And she's fearless because she knows that, or at least she thinks, she's going to be caught by the person at the bottom when she gets there. And that is another thing that makes the bridge so emotionally satisfying is that you get this feeling of falling and being caught by this person. And one of the last things in the bridge is as she's singing that last quiet, sentimental, because I don't know how it gets better than this. You have these beautiful quivering violins that, pan from left to right mm -hmm. and they feel so delicate and tenuous and like I, I I've been hurt before and I don't want to be hurt but I, I also want to allow myself to feel all of these feelings and there's I thought that was just a beautiful moment of the instrumentation capturing all of that energy that's building up and unease but eagerness to fall in love that anticipation and then you get those two big um, take my hand, you drive me head first, fearless. You get those two big hits and a wonderful organ mm -hmm. slide into the last, the last chorus, because I don't know. And that's so, like, oh, like every time lyrically with this mental image, you're, you're getting hit emotionally. She's also doing the exact same thing with the instrumentation. And that is why this song is one of my absolute favorites on the album. And this is also one of my wow. favorite albums of her. Uh, it's like, I'm just audiating again the instrumentation as you talk about it and i've already gotten excited all over again exactly like, yes, it's so good it's really just fantastic to listen to <laughs> like, i can't tell you. it's like not to not to sound like i'm speaking ill of her first album at all but it just starts so strong with this one it's like, yeah i'm so on board 100 <laughs> percent. i'm in that passenger seat she's got her arms around all of us <laughs> uh, all right truly so fearless any other thoughts i i just want to say this song to me is a complete success and a total standout of the album I just love it. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to the feeling of being held. The song 15, the second <laughs> song on the album. I feel like this has big sleepover vibes. And I, <laughs> I like, mm. this is like, this is like, this is your girls in high school having a sleepover and like crying with each other. That's what the vibe of this song oh, sure, is to sure, me. Sure. Okay. So. I had a very interesting experience listening to this song because um, I remember when I listened to Teardrops on my guitar for last episode, mm -hmm. and I saw the relatability of it. I felt the relatability of it, but something about it bothered me. I was like, I don't, I don't love how in it I feel like the song is, mm -hmm. and. I realized that 15 is what I was looking for. It's the distance from the heartbreaking high school relationship. 
I, right. when I was listening to Teardrops on My Guitar, I was like, but I remember feeling like this, but I don't feel like that anymore, and I don't want to live in right. that feeling. And mm-hmm. 15 was exactly what I was looking for, oh, because it's yes. the ability to see see how you felt then and be like, yeah, of course I didn't know to feel any differently. That was all there was, and that was all I felt. Mm-hmm. And it's the nuance that is brought in 15 that just was everything I was looking for in my in my angst over teardrops on my guitar. <laughs> it was the ability to be like, it's okay that you felt that way. You're not there anymore. Absolutely. And it was just it was it was a really nuanced moment for me, especially because I had this apparently very strong reaction to being like brought back to that and being like, but that's so silly. I don't want to be upset about my my school crushes. And and fifteen was just perfect because it was able to be like, just to that lyric. But I didn't know at fifteen. That's yeah. just so. It's so simple, but it's so true, and it's so resonant with me in particular after listening to, you know, the precursor to to fifteen. Yeah, yeah. And in my I mind, think- at least. Even within the song, I had no- never noticed before, but every single chorus has a different lyric. It seems like so straightforward, so yes. easy to sing along to, but every chorus has a different lyric. And even within that song, you're getting that growth. You're getting more nuance as you think back onto these moments. Um, so it doesn't feel so immediate. Like you're, she's starting to mm-hmm. learn more and more about herself and her relationship to other people. And I think the other thing that helps give you that distance is that I think this is the only song we've heard of her, at least so far, where she sings in the second person and it's not about a love interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that made a huge difference of it feeling very personal and, and comforting and, and unanimously relatable. So I thought that was another very successful tactic that I honestly, I wish she would employ more, um, <laughs> but, but it was such a marked change from the way she sings in all of the other songs, certainly in Teardrops on My Guitar, you know, it's Drew Walks By Me. It's all about, it's me and him right. and you, but this is, you, ostensibly, a lot of times she's singing you. She's talking about her friend Abigail. Um, right, yeah, absolutely. In many ways, the love interest of the song is, in and of itself, this friendship that she finds with Abigail, that camaraderie that she finds there. And in mm-hmm. real life, she is still, she is friends with Abigail, who she met so, so long ago. And That's so nice. I know, right? Um, and something in the music that adds to the theory that the actual love interest, which I'm kind of using air quotes, of the song being Abigail is that she sings a lyric, you sit in class next to a redhead named Abigail and soon enough, you're best friends. And just like in the last song, Fearless, where we heard that walk down the scale, we have the same thing there. The music stops, soon enough, you're best friends. And you get that same walk down the scale, like like you're falling in love, but it's more so the, the feeling of being caught as you're, as you're allowing yourself to feel these bigger and bigger emotions. And instead of being caught by a man she's being caught by these friendships that she has. And I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful message. Um, I, I liked this song. I kind of thought it was going to go to like a darker place than it did. I don't know <laughs> why. Um, but I, I think that's just like a very striking, I mean, it's the chorus, but it's a very striking lyric that it's like when you're 15 and someone tells you they love you, you're going to believe them. And I just feel like that could be, 
Mm. Like it, I, well, I think it's nice that it does operate on a lot of different levels. Cause it, it, it very easily can be like, as she's talking about, like the most important thing in your life is not going to be dating this guy in the football team. Like, yeah. don't even worry about it. Like you, et cetera, as, as we've been talking about, but I think it can also very much be like when you're 15 and you don't know any better, like someone can tell you that like their behavior towards you is love and you're going to believe them, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that that struck me. And so that's kind of where I also thought it was going to go. And it sort of does with Abigail gave everything she had to a boy who changed his mind and we both cried. So I think, and obviously it does come back to like her, their friendship being like the thing, like they, they're both crying over this. And as, as, you know, that's like this is the main relationship of this song. But, um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I think that it's like very much this melancholic, like more bitter than sweet, um, memory of like being 15, but, but also like the sweetness comes from like not being 15 anymore. Yeah. And I think Um, there's also levity in the lyric that you pointed out, uh, when she sings, your life you'll do things greater than dating the boy in the football team and that could be very morose but immediately after she has this little chuckle to herself like wow right it was such a ridiculous time but you know i got a great friendship out of it and i'm not there anymore so it's not yeah so so serious right exactly yeah the bridge also in this one Mm -hmm. another great bridge Mm -hmm. um i forget what it does this time but i feel like it's more like block chord kind of just like hits Ooh, I was about um, to talk about those, yeah. Delicious, go right ahead. Right, so in the second verse, you have the lyric, and then you're on your very first date, and he's got a car and you feel like flying. There are these guitar stabs sort of panned to the left. You have um, you have this happening over and over in your left ear, and there's such a, a type of sound and distortion on the guitar that it sounds like an alarm like you're going on this first date and you actually are hearing like oh there's like tiny alarms going off in the back of my head (laughs) like don't trust this person and those tiny guitar alarms which didn't have to be much become the basis of the bridge where these alarm sounds become overwhelming as she sings when all you wanted was to be wanted and you have Mm. overwhelmingly you're surrounded by stabs and alarms and it's I shouldn't have trusted this and I thought that was another great moment of instrumentation being almost a character trying to warn her Mm. I think the thing about all the bridges is it's just sort of re-energized me about the songs like it's it's Mm -hmm. um grabbed my focus again I think yeah um yeah totally and she does something on this song that she certainly has done plenty of times before, especially on her first album, she repeats some of the first lyrics, but instead of it being an exact copy, it's sort of snippets and they've, they've changed a little bit and Mm. it really gets the feeling of reminiscing and little snippets coming back and sort of laughing about that. And I think she's really pointed in the song about which words, which, which phrases she wants to repeat like mm. dancing around the room when the night ends, when the night ends, or you just might find who you're supposed to be. I didn't know who I was supposed to be. Each one is so purposeful and pointed and then retroactively changes the meaning that you heard the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I thought about that too, especially in the last album. We talked a lot about the lyrical structure, oftentimes having the first lyric come back at the end. And I thought the the taking a deep breath was really nice because you have the nervous excitement of being 15 and walking into the doors, taking a deep breath, and then you have, you know, an older Taylor Swift right. looking back on it and being like, it's going to be okay don't worry yeah like there's going to be so much more in your life ahead of this this is just a part of it take a deep breath i thought that was very nice in terms of full mm-hmm. circle moments i agree and it, and it gives depth to the title fearless because it shows you why especially as a woman you wouldn't be fearless why there you know, that there are so many men around you who would tell you one story and then and then they're lying in fact it's the same lie that she talked about in tim mcgraw when she said, mm-hmm. you know, that's a lie, that these men are telling her one thing and then setting her up to be devastated. And so much of her music before this, perhaps, is she captures that emotion and why she wouldn't have been fearless. And it's now only in writing this album that she is trying to say all of those things that she hadn't said and looking back and becoming more powerful because of those hard-learned lessons. And it, again, this, this song mm-hmm. really captures that feeling for me well. Absolutely. Moving on to love story. Yes. Let me just start by saying Taylor Swift sounds fantastic, I think. Yes. And maybe it's just because I listen to a lot and as a child. And so this is what I think of when I think of Taylor Swift singing. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's a great vocal performance. I think it's very effective in, in the range and I get all of the, the excitement in in the key change. I love key changes. We'll talk about the key change in a little bit. I have a lot to say about the key change. But, um... <laughs> fantastic. It's just as, as a performance, I'm like fantastic singing, fantastic vocals. Um, I love the continuous build that this song has um, and, and the percussion and, and the bass and even even with like the fiddle coming in for its flourishes here and there. It's just such a such an exciting it's it's very effective in how storybook this song is mm-hmm. that you just feel mm-hmm. this continuous, you know, build as we get further and further into their romance. Um, I loved in the first chorus right at the end when she says yes. It's like, cut out the instruments, just this one isolated yes. Ah, it's, it's so beautiful. good. It's so it's, good. It's just a fantastic decision, uh, yes. orchestration-wise. <laughs> I just, there's no other way to describe it. It's just like, that's good work there. That's I felt there. exactly the same way, and I'm sure you have more to say. I Just writing about why I think this song works actually difficult for me because it feels so immaculately conceived i can't imagine it existing in Mm. an unfinished form it just feels like it was plopped down as a complete concept and there's no other way it could be written no other way it could be orchestrated that it's it's just a complete perfect song that was given to us as a gift that we get to listen to that's and i was like i can't even think about why it's good because there is no other way for this song to exist it's true it's so well done it's really fantastic uh i i love the in the second chorus they have two uh, they have another refrain mm-hmm. um just in in terms of continuously building this tension building this you know will they won't they between romeo and juliet wow. i guess yes um and 
uh, I just, I really love the instrumentation. I loved, or the orchestration. I will say my my one um note for um, the song, I guess, or my one question is... Um, why don't they die of poisoning? Um, If you can believe that, that's actually <laughs> not my question. It's my question is this. It's, was Juliet slash Taylor Swift a scarlet letter? At mm. this time, I see what you're saying. You mm. know? Well... I don't you were know Romeo. She... I was a Scarlet Letter. I. I guess. I don't know. I I'm not convinced. Mm-hmm. I've been trying really hard to not, and, and not just for this podcast, but in general when I listen to music, I really don't seek out what the actual real life <laughs> narrative surrounding the song is. So mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. entirely. I have some idea of who these songs are about, but in thinking in real life, like is Taylor Swift a Scarlet Letter? I. I don't know. I don't think so, but I also don't know because it's not that important to me. What's important to me is like if the song in and of itself works and if this character is a scarlet letter. Sure. Um, I guess I just, in terms of thinking of the story of Romeo and Juliet, and I, I think of the Hester Prynne and mm-hmm. Juliet, I have never really considered their... Well, Hester Prynne is, is the, wearing the titular scarlet letter in the scarlet mm-hmm. letter. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know. I guess I just never drew the connection between the two of them. I guess Romeo and Juliet is a forbidden love. Yeah. And so by that standards, it is. But it was an interesting uh, connection that I wouldn't have drawn if I was, say, the lyricist for this song. But I found it interesting. It stood out to me. Interestingly, if we're talking about real life narrative, this is kind of the song that did make her a Scarlet Letter way down the line because this is in fact the song and the video that started the whole Kanye West Taylor Swift Beyonce drama feud thing way back in the day back in I did not know that yeah it was when Kanye was interrupting her for winning an award Uh, you know he was saying single lady was the best video and it was for she was winning the award for this music video oh for love story fascinating and so in a way she does much later on become a scarlet letter because of this wow the foreshadowing <laughs> has been planted in this piece <laughs> Ray, really what? a step ahead of the game yeah there's definitely no way she saw that coming um <laughs> <laughs> to talk about the vocal performance a little I, I'm, I'm interested by your statement emily because i sort of there are like certain moments where i'm like oh good like I'm glad that this like line was written in. Like for example, like the my daddy says, stay away from Juliet. There are those moments, but I don't know. Throughout this album, I was sort of like, I think the songs that really sell me on Taylor Swift are the ones where she doesn't have to rely on vocals for it to be like there are some of the like for me less interesting songs that I'm like and then it doesn't really work because I'm not really, like, here to, like, listen to the vocal stylings. Um, yep. Not to, like, totally... Re- like, she's not, like, bad by she's any She's not standards. Ariana Grande. She, <laughs> right. She's not, She's not. you know... Nobody's going to, like, listen to her necessarily, like, covering other... You know what I mean? It's, like, that's that's she's not what she's here for. She's primarily as a songwriter. Like, that's... Yeah, exactly. Like, she, she is singer-songwriter for sure. My point is that... You're right. She's not an Ariana Grande, but also Ariana Grande. Nobody's listening to her for what for the lyrics. Right. No, absolutely. you can't even understand it. So. <laughs> Let's see. I immediately I love the ostinato or repeating pattern that it's built mm-hmm. on this. Um, mm-hmm. I think this song and this 
album in general relies on the use of the second within the major one chord. Uh, so it's a second scale degree within a key and is not necessarily part of your major one chord, which is made up of these three notes. But it adds this extra tension. That's that's with the second. It adds this extra tension and suspense and also fits into basically every single chord in a key so you can just let it repeat as the chords shift and that's exactly how it's used here it's um as it's as the chords change like you 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 still get that same repeating pattern so there's like tension anticipation there's build up and if you want to consider it from for a music theory nerd perspective it's even an appoggiatura where it's overshooting where it's trying to aim for before it before it lands where it's aiming so just like her emotions are wide reaching and perhaps even overreaching before they land where they're supposed to go so are the notes that this song is built on so we get that at the beginning um, it's a very stripped back instrumentation and then we hear her sing on the balcony in summer air and we're sort of swept into this dreamscape, this fantastical reminiscence that she is crafting for us and we get, of course, the big drums come in and in the left headphone, in the left channel, we hear a steel pedal guitar, which sounds very tenuous and quavering as she sings see the lights see the party the ball gowns and just goes to show how tenuous this whole relationship is this emotional state is uh yeah we just got this nice instrumentation as we get further and further along in the first verse and this pre-chorus we get pizzicato strings so the strings are being plucked it's getting more and more tense um and the, the chords are building up on this uh, and as you, her emotions are getting more and more bigger and more away from her. And then when we get into the chorus, we get perhaps the first polyphony in her discography. We have these big ahs happening in the background, choral ahs, which is the first time, as we talked in the first episode, a lot of her harmonies are her and a male voice singing lower than her but always the same text and in this album that has started to shift we've gotten more of her harmonizing with herself a little bit higher it's a little mm -hmm. bit more of a literal female-led narrative and now we have even beyond that we have a whole chorus of voices singing beyond just the melody they're singing their own lines and it's this very full sound and it's also again this was the big single of the album it's a very pop sound it's not country anymore it's one of these elements that starts to transition her into a more pop sound uh i also think in the second chorus these polyphonic choral harmonies also they switch for one word from their ahs to the text that she's singing so you get all these voices in the background going ah and they say difficult with her to really emphasize just how difficult this whole relationship is and i thought that was a great part writing choice the chorus is also very, very exciting, of course, because we get this four on the floor feeling. So every single beat is accented with these drum kicks and really every instrument going at the exact same time. Getting into the second verse, this is a great example of how 
her ad libs can sound very impromptu, but they're also so perfectly placed to the point that they're still 10 years down the line performed exactly that same in concert. So when she says, because you were Romeo, she has this, ha, ha, because you were Romeo. And it's kind of like she's interrupting her own fantasy. She's remembering that she's a social pariah and that they can't really escape this story that they're part of. And it sounds sort of off the cuff, but it's also a great character choice that she has not gotten rid of in her many, many years of performing this song. Um, and it's just like this perfect filler to add more and more drive to the song. Uh, and talking about drive within the song, the second time we get the chorus, we get this double chorus with different lyrics the second time around where she's saying, you know, Romeo saved me. They're trying to tell me how to feel. And she's almost out of breath. I think that's what adds to the greatness of the vocal performance is that it's so frenetic and breathless and so in the character of the song. Conversely, when she sings in the bridge, I got tired of waiting, wondering if you will ever come around. She sounds very unsure and timid. The instruments are very stripped back. And it, that is another time when it sounds a lot like something you would hear on her first album. Um, but then, of course, we start to build up with more drums and she starts to get a little bit more rambly, a little bit more anxious as she's not sure where the story is going to go. And then we get this big key change that we've talked about. I just... I. It, I'm just so excited every time I hear it. I know it's coming mm-hmm. every single time I've listened to the song, and yet it's always such a triumphant moment. It's yeah. just so beautiful and something I feel wasn't really showcased on a lot of the previous album, if at all. I don't remember any key changes off the top of my head. I don't think there were any, no. And so it just stood out all the more on in this performance the first time we get a big it's we have all this building 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 and then a key change and it's just so fitting it's so appropriate for the victory of this love story the the finding out that it's all going to be okay Romeo and Juliet are going to be together and so it's (laughs) just so effective story-wise and just so satisfying musically you know you can't you can't help but be like um genuinely excited and, and sort of genuinely very into the song at this moment. Like, it, it, you know, it's hard to to hold on to any sort of... Um, not saying that I'm jaded about the song, but jadedness is the only thing that I can... Um, <laughs> the only word that I can pull up at the moment, um, you know, considering, like, oversaturation. But I think that this, especially this part of the song, maintains its uh, freshness, if you will. Absolutely. Does anyone know off the top of their head what kind of a key change it is <laughs> that's funny <laughs> i don't remember where i listening t- to it right now i could tell you yes <laughs> but i don't remember <laughs> well in many pop songs i would say in a vast majority of pop songs songs tend to if they're going to change key they go up by half a step so they go up to the next the next note on the piano this skips over that entirely. It skips that next note and moves a whole step up. So it's really going two keys higher. So it goes from D major to E major, which is part of what makes it sound so exciting. It's taking it that extra level. And this modulation is used a lot in Disney songs. So this is the same type of modulation you'll hear in something like Can You Feel the Love Tonight, where which is another fantastical romantic song that is really taking you to the next level, to the heights of the most romantic emotions. Um, So I thought this was the perfect utilization for it and why it sounds so exciting and different from other key changes you hear in pop music. There's also something really exciting 
happening leading up to it when she says she knelt to the ground. Um, he knelt to the ground and pulled out a ring and said, she's on a five chord. So the fifth step in a scale. And this would normally lead back to your one chord or the first step of the scale. And because we have now moved up by a whole step, it turns what would be a five chord essentially into a four chord that lands on this new one chord. And what's so specific about that is that this is what's considered an amen cadence because at the end of like church songs, at the end of a mass, I guess is what where it is. At the end of a mass, <laughs> <laughs> you hear this, these exact chords, you hear amen at the end to show that it's over, that and it has a strong religious connection and in turning that chord that chord progression into this amen cadence you have this whole religious connection that's happening at the same time that she's saying you know marry me we'll go off you know to a church and get married and that's like another beautiful moment of the music giving an extra layer of storytelling to that story that she's giving. And it's also when she changes this key, this is also when she changes the story that she's telling. Of course, as we're talking about Robin and Juliet don't actually end up together. They end up <laughs> dead. But when she changes the key, she also changes the ending of the story. So mm. I think a lot of criticism for this album might be over the fact that she's investing maybe too much in fairy tales or the stories that she's fed. But I think in this moment, she's saying just it's not something that I'm blindly following, even though I'd like to have a fairy tale reading of my life in this moment. It's something that I'm actively choosing and I'm still creating, I'm still crafting my own narrative. <laughs> and that is all happening in this very short moment of a key change. But I think it still carries that emotion because on some subconscious level, you get all of that happening alongside it just being a really great musical moment. Um, and then you have this wonderful baby just say and like she makes you wait for it in Tim McGraw she makes you wait for it again and she finally says yes and it's so satisfying to get to the end of this song and as we get into the outro um just like the word difficult has been highlighted before you have the violin doing the um which is the melody that you hear on the words this love is difficult so at the same time that she has said yes and they've found success in this relationship, you have this little reminder from the violin in the background saying, yes, this love was difficult and there was a long journey getting here. I think I think it, it's, it's just beautiful storytelling. And I think what works well about this song, even though it is so fantastical, it works well because, you know, many people in high school were reading Romeo and Juliet and it captures that feeling of art imitating life when you when you sort of like read a play in class and it's like, oh, this is how this is the love triangle that I'm experiencing too. And it feels like, <laughs> oh my gosh, my life is like a Shakespearean play. And I think she exactly mm. captures that that mind frame, that mindset. Absolutely. I totally mm. agree. I didn't think I was going, I, I thought again it was going to be one of those, I've heard this so much, I don't want to listen to it again. And yet I find myself being like, why don't I listen to it more? <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> All right. Song four, Hey Steven. This is the first one where I said, okay, it's fine. Yeah. It's not, it, it's, it reminded me a lot more of her first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like in terms of, I, I wrote down a pleasant bop, which is how I thought of many a, a track 
on her yeah. first album. It didn't have exactly the same build that I found in the first three numbers. Um, I did uh, really enjoy the lyrics, Would They Write a Song for You, followed by Taylor chuckling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was such a good moment. Honestly, it... It it made me rank the song a bit higher probably than I would have without that little addition in there. Um, so overall, it was it was good. It didn't speak to me as much as as any of the ones before this one. It's hard to follow love story, and it, it, it's a tough place. <laughs> I think she specifically followed it with a song that is a little bit more smaller in its reach. It's mm. you know it's like a walking tempo song, and you really get the feeling from the instrumentation that you can get the visual of her walking down the road, being next to this person, maybe while they're, while they're walking and her just sort of not saying what she wants to, and maybe even humming to herself. And what she's humming to herself is actually this song that she's written for him. So I thought that was a nice, like, it's not, you know, at the beginning it starts off with humming and you don't know like how it will fit into the narrative. And then when she says, would they write a song for you? It's like, oh, her humming is maybe when she's not saying what she wants to. She's actually crafting the song that will tell the whole story. And I think that's a nice narrative arc. Um, it's it's charming. It's a charming song. Yeah, but it's, absolutely. yeah. It's just sort of middle of the road for me. Um, yeah. I don't know. I agree. I think that um, I wrote down that the most compelling part for me is all the times where she does the like, mm, I can't help myself or however that goes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think I agree. I think that the humming all ties it together. Like, and I think it does some nice prep work for um, White Horse. Yeah. You know, because I, <laughs> um, I feel like that she has some notable like lyrical motifs through that one. And then, oh, I was thinking of like Kissing in the Rain. Yeah. Um, in the same way that they, she talks about like dancing in the rain in her best dress in Fearless. Um, yeah. I think it's just like evoking the same quality of like recklessness. Um, yeah, I don't have a ton to say about it beyond that. I like the end. I like the little, like she has these snaps at the end that were really messy in a way. It's it's very similar to the kind of snapping that you hear on the Billie Eilish song Bad Guy, where it's not very on the beat. It's not as program. I mean, mm. it is programmed, but it sounds more like a collective group of people sort of absentmindedly bopping along, which was what I thought the song was trying to evoke. So mm. I thought that was a nice choice that added to the intended feel of the song. But I, I just don't, I don't know. The song is it's fine but you know it's it's kind of yeah it, it's it's not a very ambitious song and kind of surrounded by much more ambitious tracks but that's not trying to be i ambitious, agree so yeah let's just move let's move along to move, move right <laughs> on <Wars>. yeah yeah <laughs> the cello yeah just i was so sad when it went away when when the verse started when 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 the when taylor started singing i wanted more of it but luckily it came in throughout um this was another example looking at the lyrics of the bridge i feel like musically the bridge must have been uh what i really liked mm -hmm. this is this is not one also that i found as compelling um compared to the first three I think um, some of the things that I like on on this one is is in terms of what we were talking about right at the beginning in terms of having this 
perspective and distance. So certain lines like, um, she says, my mistake, I didn't know to be in love. You have to fight to have the upper hand. Yeah. Things like certain things like that, I think are very like, um, they speak to that, that kind of distance. Cause she's like, I don't know. She's, she's that, that's like a, you know what I mean? That's kind of like a clever, like witty thing that you wish you could say to someone. Mm. Um, yeah, there's this great moment in the chorus where she says, but I'm so, and you don't really know how she's going to finish it, but she says, I'm so sorry. And that goes to this unexpected chord that's not part of the key. So she has, but I'm so sorry. And it's not a, key, a chord that you've heard before on the song or anywhere on the album. And it's like, oh, well, she she's like apologizing, but she's also like, it's a turning point in her character where she's, not really going to be that way anymore. She's not like waiting to get swept up by this white horse. And mm. I thought that was a nice subtle, like, okay, we're, we're shifting away from this mindset a little bit. Right. Um, we're doing something a little bit out of the ordinary. I also think it says something that, that this song exists on the album with love story, because, you know, I, I think it just points to the fact that a, yes, she's like not caught up in this, the, fairy tale the whole time like you know she she does have or rather she's like not um her idea of love is not just fairy tales um as she so so it's just interesting and also to be like this is not like all of these songs are not like the literal story of my life necessarily like I can have love story and also um white horse and like those can exist at the same time within my like what 19 years yeah um yeah for me what i was drawn to i was i was really drawn in by the radley snares i was like oh that's almost kind of jazzy and then i heard like i heard the piano comping and i was like oh this is kind of drawing on the tradition of torch songs which in um musical theater you know it's like a sentimental love song Usually, like, a woman is singing about, like, an unrequited or lost love. Usually it's pretty jazzy. You've got, like, the visual image of, like, you know, the woman draped over the piano and, you know, light jazz in the background. And, like, she's singing in, like, a smoky bar or something like that. Or at least that's how I think of it. But um, she has a lot of those elements going on in it. Some other great examples of torch songs would be... Every Time We Say Goodbye by Cole Porter, My Funny Valentine by Richard Rogers, or even The Man That Got Away from A Star Is Born by Harold Arlen and Ira Gershwin. But um, if you strip away the few country dressings of the song, or even if you leave it in, it's like this arrangement-wise is very, very similar to a torch song. And that's normally sung by someone who's a lot further along in life, let's say someone who's reminiscing on a long lost love or someone that got away. And she's obviously much younger, but I think it just adds to why this album and why her music at such a young age feels so mature because she's drawing on these much older traditions. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I definitely saw this song very much in conversation with Love Story. And like I said earlier with Fearless that, you know, she said in this one horse town, I want to stay right here. And this perhaps is where she dives into that more about how she wants to stay right and how she wants to stay in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the beginning of the song, we hear a melodic hook, which is... 
And as I talked about in the previous episode, this is actually perhaps our first iteration of the Swiftian suspension, the tea drop. And it's happening ah. in the major form. And I think what is, you know, it, on its own, it's like, oh, it's just, you know, sort of a melodic, like, it's just a melodic thing that's happening. It doesn't mean a ton all on its own, but it happens right next to the song where it's most prominently found in her discography, You Belong With Me. So it sort of ties them together once you start, once you hear them back to back like that. So you have this, which is the same 15 suspension, as I mentioned, that you hear on the hook of You Belong With So it's sort of introducing this motive that happens throughout her discography as a moment of heartbreak, but also growth and newfound maturity. So I thought that was wonderful. And I think that's a perfect transition into the next song, You Belong With Me. I feel that I must say that um, for some reason or another, I did have, when this song came on, full body chills. So that's fun. (laughs) The memories came back. It's just absurd the the amount of time I spent thinking about. And like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I just remember thinking about this a lot, not in any like, like intricate detail, but I was like, this is a gay narrative. This is for me, me specifically. (laughs) Cause I was like, yeah, I wear t-shirts and famously also like sneakers also on the bleacher. You know what I mean? I was like, this is my zone. (laughs) Um, Not to be alarming or anything. Um, And then um, I watched, I rewatched the video today as I must. Um, My two comments from that are one, it has over a billion views. Go off Taylor. Um, She has a lot of those. Yeah, I'm sure. And then two, (laughs) I don't know if I, I don't think I did. It's possible that I did not put together the fact that she plays the girlfriend until today, <laughs> or rather until you referenced it the other day. Yeah. Um, I said that. I was, I was like, like, oh, wait. he didn't know. I could like wait. tell. <laughs> I um, could tell that you did not know. <laughs> no, I don't know why. I Apparently I was just like, she's blonde. I can't. Other other girl is brown hair. It's okay. Yeah. I did the same thing with the Lizzie McGuire movie where I was like, it's two different <laughs> actors. That That's someone who looks very similar to Hilary Duff. <laughs> Got parent child. Um, I'm, as you might be able to tell, an enthusiastic fan. This is ultimately like my favorite track on the album. Yeah. Um, and like, if it's like love story and you belong with me, get in a fight. Love story is like dead on the floor within <gasps> seconds for me. Sorry. <gasps> I wow. Said that. It, it like, it's bleeding. Okay, call an ambulance, well, um, call an ambulance. I don't, I don't know me. if I, I agree with that. Uh, it arguably, Love Story launched. Love Story launched the controversy uh, rift of the decade. Are you no? So it, listen, it's not about the song or its like merit in and of itself. It's just mm-hmm. that you know what I mean. Yeah, I, it, it it has a lot of a lot of. I will say this song is perfect jumping along tempo like this song is i feel mm-hmm. like was absolutely crafted to be like jumping around in your room and like screaming this song to yourself as you're feeling all these emotions it's, it's yeah. perfect for that i had a very interesting experience when i first started listening to it mm-hmm. um full body chips. for this podcast which is <laughs> wait it's more country than i remember <laughs> like i somehow oh, in my mind funny. like completely put it into like the sound of the shake it off era 
I don't know how that happened. I don't know either. Shake It Off is from 1989, so famously 80s synth pop. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I was shocked by my my faulty memory of it. Uh, yeah, it's just such a classic, though. Like I remember how many times I watched the music video. Mm-hmm. Not that I helped it get to that billion viewership mark, but. I couldn't have heard it. I must have helped in some way, you know, with all of my my viewings of it. Uh, It's just very good. And again, it's such a well-conceived and well-put-together piece. Mm -hmm. The narrative is so relatable. Uh, And it's just so I I appreciate the, the fun nature of it in that it's it's the unrequited love. But there's this positive energy that is still found in it. It's not, mm-hmm. it, I think thinking about 15 in conversation with this on the same album, there's this levity that comes from looking at a high school crush and wanting to be with someone and at the end of the day, still having it not be the end of the world, which I think is just why for me i find it so joyous to listen to as opposed to teardrops on my guitar which i was like get out of here i don't want you anymore. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so i just think it, it's a very nice balance between the you know the pain of seeing someone you want to be with with another person but still finding so much joy in this this memory of the courtship potential yeah i was gonna say she kind of find i don't think she's like necessarily like comparing their qualities in any sort of I mean obviously and I'll say a little bit more about this later but uh, obviously she's kind of like roasting uh, evil Taylor Swift for her outfit and um I don't think so you don't think so okay great well then in that case great I what I was gonna say is I feel like she's just finding joy in her own attire and that and and just that it is like what she feels good in as opposed to like she's not like Oh, I just wear a t-shirt. She's like, yeah, I love it. I don't know if that's, I, I mean, that may be more so in the video. It's honestly been a little while since I watched the video. Uh, I, mm. But I, I, I do want to make that point because I do remember there being criticism about her putting down this other girl in the story who's wearing her skirts and her high heels and everything. And I, to me, and I think many people who relate to it, it was never about the fact that what the other person was wearing was wrong. It's just about like looking at that yeah. and feeling in, in, like insufficient in comparison like right how how will i ever measure up to that girl in a way um like mm-hmm. she's doing everything right and i like like what 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 about me would be desirable but then like in the mood of the song you get a lot of that joy so i'm glad right. i'm glad you said that um that makes sense i was thinking about this um there's a lot of throughout this album of like i'm not like other girls but i feel like it's like necessary in a way because it's like yeah I don't know I was thinking about that especially in this one in terms of like just outfit even but Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of discourse around like even in 15 they're like um Abigail and I like chuckling at the other girls being the way that they are and not Mm. not in a like mean way but just in like a we're clearly on the outside and I was thinking about like I don't know. I was just sort of like interrogating that for myself because I, it it seems a little like 
not like self-indulgent. But then I was like, well, it's like a survival tactic. You know what I mean? To be like, I know that these other people, whether they be popular, whether they be, you know, et cetera, et cetera, are, I'm not like them and that's okay. I'm not like them. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is perhaps why one of the reasons why I struggled so much with the outside last episode, <laughs> because I feel like so much of Taylor Swift's narratives, especially in this era, is about viewing the 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 popular people or the people who are, you know, who are doing things that she's not or or presenting themselves in a way that she's not. And to say I've never been on the outside, I feel like just goes against the narrative that I see her crafting in a lot of the songs. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of here's how they are and here's why I'm different, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's just uh, an interesting thing. I thought it was the lyrics. That was why you couldn't get into the outside. (laughs) (laughs) The lyrics, but also that. Just I've never been on the outside when so many songs are about being on the outside. It just strikes me as a little counterintuitive but i digress yet again <laughs> no it's it's an important point to be made I, I i see it being part of this narrative that you're talking about ray ford sort of almost like a, a coping mechanism um but in the context of the album i i see again this is a narrative about things she wished that she had said in moments about things that she that she didn't say things that were unsaid and kind of left mm-hmm, unfinished mm-hmm. and it I, with it, it's within the context of the album. It's more about revisiting that feeling and more about like, well, now that I'm putting it into my music, I can say like what I wish I had said, and just that like mm, I sure. I really like you too, and I see what's like special about you. Anyways, I it is definitely a country sounding song. I think something that added to that was the steel pedal guitar, which. It sort of starts around the lyric, uh, never know your story like I do, but you hear it especially prominently in verse two. And that to me is very much a sound not only of country, but but of yearning of that heartstring pull. Um, and I thought that was a great uh, choice. Um, but to me, when I got into the chorus, what I was generically, what I was thinking of was uh, actually the wall of sound. I don't know how many of you are familiar with like Phil sure, Spector, yeah. but this is a sound that he created in the 60s for a more layered, dense, and reverberant sound instead of being able to like pick out like, oh, this is this horn here, or this is this guitar line here. And you essentially achieve that by lots of doubling, lots of acoustic and electric guitar, lots of background singers. And this was crafted because music was compressed for radio and jukeboxes, and you would hear it on these really suboptimal speakers and in suboptimal settings and he was trying to get the most amount of sound out of it and this is doing something very very similar with very similar arrangements i was thinking you know if you just recorded this in a big hall this would be the the wall of sound that was created back in the 60s and for a good example of this sort of sound you could hear it in like the do ron ron by the runettes or river deep mountain high by ike and tina turner and it's just this like massive massive again wall of sound coming at you and i think it fits the emotional highs of the song so well um so it not only fits in more properly sonically on pop radio amongst all the other songs that it would be playlisted with it also takes you to a maximum emotional height that she's singing about 
again, where she reaches the top of her register and she's singing about, can't you see that I'm the one who understands you and everything is just going full force with this message. So that was a very successful arrangement choice. Uh, another one that was also successful, but a kind of an opposite choice was in the bridge. There's this last, um, can't you see you belong with me? Um, and when she, after she says, see, there's this really breathy, ah, that comes in just from like her backing vocals. And it is so airy and very evocative sigh that happens before you are flung full force into the emotions of the last chorus, that like high energy point again. And I think this is one of the earliest points where she's experimenting with that very breathy, airy, ethereal part of her voice. And it was done very successfully. However, it was just done in the background. So I wanted to point that out. Um, Mm. And finally, I just really think that the melody matches the mood so well and so many points in this song like the you're on the phone with your girlfriend she's upset like that it keeps going down to the tonic keeps walking down the scale it's kind of like reserved kind of a little bit downtrodden but also like not super emotional about it but then you get these two pre-choruses um the first one being dreaming about the day that you'll wake up and find where it's starting to rise up a little bit, where she's getting a little bit more hopeful. You have that little bit of a walk up the scale. And then in the second pre-chorus, you get, you say you're fine. I know you better than that. Hey, what you doing with a girl like that? You got an even bigger line of walking up this, uh, walking up the scale. She's getting more, a little bit more courageous in what she's willing to say and how far she's letting her emotions stretch. And, in the chorus, again, you get this big explosion of emotions, and then you you hear, can't you see, you belong with me, and both times they're sung like, a, like she's almost wailing, like she's crying, and I thought those were all such wonderful text settings to put you exactly in the emotional state that she's in every time she's singing mm-hmm. those lyrics. Yeah, overall, fantastic songwriting. It's, yeah. it's just like, it's... Another one that, like, one of the ones that this week I just kept coming back to and listening to because it was so enjoyable. It just put me in such a happy mood. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so joyous. I really appreciate that. Moving on to a, a much less exuberant, much less joyous <laughs> song. Let's move on to Breathe. This is one of the ones that felt so cinematic to me. Mm. Like, uh, especially because I thought the duet i thought sounded great together um and the the duet nature of the piece as it read to me just felt like you saw you it's two people parting ways in a relationship and then you kind of get this like view of both of them driving away from the the moment when everything changed and i thought just the whole tone of the song was very effective and kind of painting that picture the humming was very nice and I love the strings it was just such a beautiful moment leading up to the bridge when they came in and really just shined and I just thought it was it was very nice and and a different mood for sure from uh the two songs surrounding it but I really appreciated it I I'm not a huge fan of this yeah. song. Oh, okay. <laughs> correct. No, Glad correct. I talked Daniel. for that this much correct. time about it. Um, I, I will say I appreciate the reminiscent aspect of it. Like um, you have these really reverby and spacey vocals at the beginning, which make this image of driving away from this moment, like 
ah, we've already committed this moment to memory and it's already in the past. And even just, even though it happened seconds ago now, we're, you know, it's, I'm already a whole new person and I'm already reflecting upon this moment. However, I, first of all, I, I don't think it really highlights Colby as a soloist at all. Like, I don't think she had yeah. a verse on her own. And a lot of Taylor Swift's harmonies are somebody singing the same words as her at the same time as her, but just in a slightly different notes, which is exactly what Colby was doing. So it's like, if I didn't know she was there, I could very easily miss that this was a duet all together. I, That's a good fact, point. I, I would have definitely... On the first round. Because <laughs> I was not looking at my phone while I was listening to the first one. I was like, oh, this is interesting Like that she's duetting with herself and kind of doing like a different a different take the second time. You know what I mean? There are yeah. certain moments where like their vowels don't quite match up or like, yeah. Um, Taylor keeps doing like the easy thing, whatever back to, um, little Southern vocal. <laughs> um, I feel very similarly, Daniel. I think this one, these next three songs, well, this, this and the next two, um, were really kind of where I started getting very fatigued with this album. Um, yeah. And I think that, I, I, Emily, I think it, it's interesting. I also noted that when the strings and percussion were really like, they were they were working hard, they were doing, and, and I think somehow like if it had been just those, I would have been more into it. But it was like, you, you've done all this work for me to still be just like sort of meh with the song. But I mean, I appreciate <laughs> the fact that the orchestration, yeah, <laughs> just whelmed. <laughs> I think what I heard a lot in the song is the potential of it. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and so when I say... <laughs> sure. But like, I'm when I like, say... I'm like, let me redeem myself <laughs> as well as the song. <laughs> no, no, no. But when it's when I say it's cinematic and would be a very effective duet, mm. it's that like I would like, say perhaps rearrange this. I, well, I like the idea of having of having two female vocalists singing the song and perhaps giving a whole verse to the other singer um yeah, and <laughs> it's like listen i would rearrange the song if someone told me that i had to you know re-record it and all i had to do was cross okay, off taylor's right, name sure. from the second verse and put colby's above it <laughs> all i'm saying is it's i think narrative something very interesting sure. to to see just like the immediate aftermath of two people deciding to split up and it would be very effective i think to have them both have these isolated but together moments yeah i think my favorite part of the song was the string of saris at the end and mm. it's then followed by what i would what i would argue to be the densest chord on the album so if we're we're in the key of uh d flat and it ends with the strings on this A flat um, over G flat chords, which is like so tense. And I think adds to the narrative as well, because it's like these two chords that are just slightly out of sync with each other. It's like, it's kind of, it's ultimately pretty simple, but it's also very complex at the same time, just like this relationship. Um, and it just says that there's a lot of tension and a lot of unresolved feelings at the end, just like just like there is in this relationship. Um, so I thought that that one very dense chord told that story. But that's li that's literally like one moment out of the entire song. And in general, I was just not, <laughs> I, 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 like every time I listen to this, usually I just like skip 
well, several of these songs, but I, I really I skipped, skipped this song, this and I'm like, mm, you know, we've already gotten through the love stories and the you belong with me. Like, right. I don't, like, I, I've gotten what I wanted out of this album already. <laughs> um, let's move on to Tell Me Why. I, w- I would just like to say that this is very, there's there's another ostinato, ostinato pattern for it, which mm-hmm. is like, um, which is very, very similar to what was happening in Love Story, just faster. And I was like, is this is this the only thing that they have to offer this type of, <laughs> <laughs> this basis? Um, I didn't know if it was linking them two together, but more so I was like, I just hear it similarly and with less success. Um, <laughs> like it, it's, it has a kind of like tension with the second suspension, but it doesn't do as much narratively for me as it was doing yeah. in Love Story. I felt um, this one, I was noticing like it, it, the percussion, I don't know, this whole song kind of felt a little poppier to me than um, some of the other like, Mm-hmm. b-list tracks say on the <laughs> album you know what i mean like the non-singles yeah i feel like i was gonna say like and as a result of that it almost felt like it was starting to be like a song that it would rely a little bit more on like a vocal performance and mm. not 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 in the way i i was gonna say actually earlier like i think what makes taylor's vocal performance is good is when you hear her connecting to the lyrics in this story and so because of that like just like vocal quality wise like she didn't i've i've i have written she doesn't have the range um Mm. um, (laughs) on that note i actually liked what was happening vocally and the performance Mm. there's a moment in the chorus where she sings uh you told me that you love me and then push me around and in that moment she jumps up to the top of her register and normally when you're going higher especially in a chorus you really want to kind of belt or shout those notes but she flips all the way up into her head tone and it feels very vulnerable um on the word on the love so she sings you tell me that you love me and she like flips up into that head voice and you could just like hear like the cry in her tone and mm-hmm. that vulnerability and even though it's not like an amazing vocal performance like you get a lot of sure, the sure, emotion sure. in that kind of uh, a vocal well um, yeah I personally thought acoustically it sounded like it was playing on the same things as Picture to Burn. It felt very like, <laughs> and like those kind of drums, those kind, that kind of frenetic I felt energy. About that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was um, just ultimately a miss. This was one where I just essentially appreciated Taylor's emotion mm-hmm. in the vocal performance. I really liked the chords in the chorus where she sings um run for cover and you get these very strong um power chords also. which is something that she's used before on something like should have said no and they're a great way of hammering home the anger and the aggression behind the song and um i think the performance of the song is especially strong in the outro when she sings these tell me why why and those are placed exactly where you would say them if you were like performing them as part of a script i felt like like you could take out the melody take out the instruments and you could have her just standing up saying tell me why why and it's like you get the exact same emotion so i was like not my favorite song but that part is a perfect text setting you know i don't i don't have much else to say but um you know she says you know forget what i'm trying to say this is another song about her 
in the moment not being able to say what she wants to um right. and then finding that power within her songwriting um so let us move on to you're not sorry and this is the one that for me reminded me of evanescence it like it reminded me of uh, my immortal especially ah uh, yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> aside from from a few text setting moments where i was like uh that's a little interesting how how she's she's putting some lyrics together uh i thought it was very exciting i loved the orchestration i appreciated the build of this one. Oh, i just couldn't disagree more rather well, that i just didn't like it <laughs> well, okay, before, we, before we disagree i will say something that i thought was part of what was really exciting in the orchestration was um in the chorus you have this um And then this is one of the only instances where she uses a chromatic passing tone. So she's trying to get from here to here. And uh, there's a note in between those two that adds a whole lot of tension and is like, oh, I'm really leaning into the next chord and like makes it so satisfying and adds a lot of character, a lot of color into the chords. Um, and yeah, just a lot of excitement into it in general. And and that wasn't always on the beat. Sometimes it would be offbeat. And that was a very exciting thing to hear every time the chorus came around. Yes, I think that's what really did it for me. Thank you for bringing that up. I love chromatic motion in musical theater. Big fan of it in rock. And when it appeared here, I, it was very exciting for me. Um, and so honestly, it's it was a small moment, but it... it <laughs> really made the song one of my favorites to it meant a to. lot to me too yeah, yeah that it, one note <laughs> I, I just it's one of my favorite ways of building and adding in that kind of energy and, and movement and so i loved it i i couldn't have appreciated it more absolutely absolutely yeah i think this is one of the songs like we, we compared it to rock and we've compared it, compared it to the theater and there's many parts in the song especially in the bridge where you just have strings and piano and it's really getting away from the country packaging. Like it's on a country album, but ostensibly she's writing songs that are not even, but like if they weren't coming from her and if they weren't coming from this album would just be considered rock or, or pop in other contexts. Mm -hmm. But what did you think of the song? Rafe? Oh, I did like the, the sort of sparser orchestration at times that you were talking about when it just became like piano and strings or, or, it was just like a little more focus on, I guess, like the vocal, etc. I think what happened to me is that I was, as as I sort of mentioned before, experiencing at this point kind of fatigue with um, this album. And in a way, I just like didn't want a, a ballady type thing at this moment. Um, and it and didn't really give me much to hold on to in a way. Yeah. Well, I think it is it is quite a dirgy song it's definitely mm -hmm. not my favorite and while the chorus characteristically is interesting with these quick lyrics which is and you can say da 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 like she has this like string mm. of lyrics which adds to the character that she's portraying very well but i do not find it to be a very hooky song either it's not very like easy to sing along to it doesn't get like lodged in your head it's just right. it's a dirge and it feels very stormy to me um mm. For me, the best part of it is at the very, very end, you have these these chords that have been kind of repeating throughout the whole song. So you have this, you know. Um, and it hangs out there. And then in the distance, you hear almost like an afterglow of the steel pedal um, on the major chord. It's very distant, but it gives you 
the feeling of the the clouds parting after the mm-hmm. storm and a little bit of the sun poking out at the end. And I thought that was a very intriguing choice because it's it's very blink and you miss it or like if your headphones aren't even good enough you could miss it but it was a very distinct choice for it to come in there on a completely different chord from where all the other instruments have ended but with that let's move on to the way i loved you and this as i mentioned some of these songs would remind me of other artists this is the one that reminded me of avril lavigne did anybody else get strong complicated vibes from the from the verse oh now that you've mentioned it yes like the (laughs) Fell out. What you yelling for? It's the same melody, maybe even the same key, but it's that very, very angsty punk rock sort of vibe too. Mm. Mm. Oh, I really liked this one. This one reinvigorated me on the album. Um, uh, I I feel like um, I really like the intro. I think the the like immediate mm. build into the vocal is really is really nice, and um, I feel like that is not very sonically like a, unique. Uh, yeah, it's not. Album. Yeah, it's not a very typical thing. It it feels like to just sort of immediately be like, do 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 you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, it, <laughs> interesting that it's like, I think what drew me to it also is like it does paint a very vivid lyrical picture. Like you can get in the situation very easily. Like whether or not I think you you've actually been in that kind of like you're in a relationship that you should be enjoying for all you know intents and purposes but are it's just like not doing it for you but i do think it it does rather lean into sort of like i've written incel ideology i don't know if it's like totally <laughs> that but it's like a little bit of the like yeah girls don't like nice guys they like you know the like and it, i don't think it is actually that but that's just what it reminded me of um i think it's a very successful song for me um I agree um, on some levels. For me, what stops me from really enjoying the song is that it is really, really toxic in its ideology. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hold on. She's like, oh, I like fighting and yelling and storming out and all of that. And I'm yeah. like, um, maybe <laughs> what you, you like do. is passion and spontaneity. And the yeah. only way you found that so far is in people yelling at you right Right. i I do feel like the the lyrics do kind of unironically romanticize a not great relationship like i I don't i don't i don't think this one maybe has as much um nuance in a way or like distance or rather in the distance (laughs) there is still the uh idealizing of a bad relationship um and so musically, I I really enjoyed the song, but lyrically, yeah. I had a, I had a tough time. There's some reservations. <laughs> getting on board with it. <laughs> the podcast cannot endorse this type of relationship. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Please, no screaming and fighting and, and kissing. Well, the kissing in the rain is nice, but the yeah. the rest of it, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And the thing that I liked best about this song, which maybe was a musical comment on that kind of relationship was that it relied so much of the use of the minor four chord. Did anybody else notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, when you have a major key like F, which is what this song is in, um, normally your four chord, um, which would be B flat, would be major. Um, and that fits into the key like. Those are very standard chords that we expect that we hear a lot in music. And it 
uh, alters the, that fourth, that four chord um, slightly to make it minor. And this is kind of like the number one way to pull at the heartstrings and color something much more with more melancholy and color it more bittersweet. So the sound of that is that's your one chord and this is your major four chord and this is your minor four chord. And immediately you get that tug of the heart, heartstrings. And she uses that a lot in the song. Um, I notice it in the first verse when she says, um, uh, he says, I look beautiful tonight and I feel perfectly fine or whatever the lyrics are. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts to comment on, well, I like this, but actually there's something that's not totally satisfying right. my heart here, or it's not totally great. Um, and it happens most prominently again in the chorus when she sings, um, and that's the way and it's major. I loved you and it's minor. And so you sort of have the good mm-hmm. and the bad existing at the same time. And it's even though she really enjoyed it, she can't quite look back on it with the same positivity. Um, Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my reading of it. That's the way yeah. I let's choose to enjoy the song. Cause like we'll ignoring the lyrics, there are there are a lot of really great boppy things about this song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Musically, it it's I it's really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, even I would say like lyrically from only the standpoint of like the We know better side where it's like yeah. <laughs> No, just like even from the standpoint of just being like, I know that this should be like something that I'm really into, but I'm not. And that kind of is heartbreaking. Um, mm. And then she does just juxtapose it with like what I really want is, and that's you know obviously the not so great part. But I think that the first part is is poignant. Absolutely, and the part about you saying, "Oh, this is something that I that I should like the proper behavior," um, as and I'm using air quotes the, the the proper etiquette and being treated politely. I think that's really well orchestrated because it's accompanied by like a militaristic snare in the percussion and it feels very rigid and upright. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the kind of behavior she's talking about where it's like this, this follows the rules. It's very uh, rigid um, in, in this behavior, but it's also very unenjoyable because it just follows a very strict pattern. And I know exactly where it's going and I'm never going to be surprised. I will also say that this song, it, it helped romanticize these more toxic behaviors with something that I thought you would like, Rafe, because there was a lot of chimey type sounds. Um, uh, (laughs) There was, let's see, uh, let's see, when she sings anything at all in the bridge, there's a glockenspiel there. When when she sings, he calls exactly when he says he will. Um, There are like, there are little chimes in the verse and they're kind of magical. Um, and even when she sings that last, I miss screaming and crying and fighting when, it, when she does that turn around before the final chorus, um, the piano becomes quite plucky and enters the same mm. sonic realm of those other chimey type instruments. So I was like, ah, Rafe is really having a field day with his chimey <laughs> instruments today. Apparently. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, this isn't how she leads her relationships anymore. And it is a song that is in the past tense. So hopefully she has right. left this kind of relationship behind her, especially as she moves right. from the one horse town to the big city. <laughs> mm. All right. Forever and always. Um, I really like this song. I really yeah. enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> um, 
Let's see. I, I really like how at the beginning you got this percussion track where all yeah. of the bass is taken out of it. It almost sounds like a tape sample, um, which mm. could be like a, a commentary on time and impermanence and like the degradation of the original thing. So it's like she had this this love originally that was supposed to be, you know, very fulfilling and very supportive, but just like the, the, the bass, just like the drum samples, it like it got all of its support and its body taken out of it. And now it's just like a fraction of what it what it once originally was. Um, so I thought mm. right originally, like right up front, you're 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 put in the right place with the orchestration. I don't know. What did you what did you all think about the song? The moment that stood out to me the most, which was another great orchestration moment, was uh, on the line coming down to nothing. How mm. they took out everything except just the percussion line playing quarter notes. Um, it was just another instance of just such um, smart orchestrating and so in tune with the lyrics that just made the piece feel so whole and so well conceived again. I just, all all of these moments where there was such a connect between the musicality. Uh, it was very thoughtful. Yeah, yeah it, it just, it only heightens the tone of the narrative and the the tone of this kind of, hollow feeling that just arises throughout mm -hmm. this song yeah and even in, i wrote down that exact same part and also the moment leading up to it where she says now i'm not mm -hmm. so sure where you get this angry guitar yeah. build up and then it pulls back and now she says now here's everything coming down to nothing and she strips it down to those those that just the kick drum like you said so yeah it's a lot of anger and then she's like trying to take it back and yeah beautiful mm -hmm. everything is everything is married so perfectly yeah. Um, and just the the emotion of the piece was just so clear throughout. Mm. It's uh, there was there is this um in in these large concepts of forever and always and what it means when that turns out not to be true. There is this real specificity in mm -hmm. terms of what's being conveyed and the underlying emotion beneath that all. Yeah, yeah. I really love how in the first chorus she sings, "You said forever and always," and then kind of everything stops everything is pulled out except for this echoey guitar and yeah. you, you hear that it's interrupted you know that there's a little bit more to that phrase it's on an unresolved chord and it's like mm -hmm. okay but what happened you said forever and always what, what was the next part of that story and you don't find out until the second mm -hmm. time the chorus comes around and she says you say forever and always you didn't mean it baby and you finally get to the end you get to that cathartic um conclusion of the story mm -hmm. You could almost tell the whole emotional arc of this song just on how she was singing Rains When You're Gone. I thought that was absolutely my favorite mm. lyrical setting because it happens mm -hmm. at the top of her register. And in the first couple choruses, it's harmonized uh, lightly with other voices, kind of like much of this album is. But when it gets to the last chorus, um, they, they take out all of the harmonies on that rains when you're gone and it's at the top of her register and she's really struggling and she's really vulnerable and she has like no support under her vocally and she also emotionally has no support under her and she sounds like she's reached her her wit's end and she's she's crying and then you hit this double chorus and she has to sing this rains when you're gone again except this time she's just full-on rage she doesn't need the support anymore she can sing it out and she's just going to like shout it at this person and really this is one of the songs that made me say wow this album is really really well acted and really well performed uh because there are so many specific choices like that in this song and in 
much of the album that so viscerally capture an emotional state. And, you know, when you're recording an album, obviously you're not there anymore and you're going to be recording these songs over and over and over all day, like hundreds, two hundred, like literally it could be hundreds of takes, but it still feels very fresh and like she's in the moment just because of her performance of the song. There's also where she sings, um, oh, I stare at the phone and it's kind of unpitched and it's very theatrical. And then like under that, you'll have these really rapid fire drum fills that are almost like gunshots. And it's just like all of the emotions and her acting choices are married together so perfectly to tell this story of rage and betrayal. I agree. I really liked this song. I think it does have, it, I, I agree with everything that you guys have said, like in terms of the personality is really what, what sold it to me. I think a lot of the, um, I was going to say line readings, but um, you know, a lot of the like takes of yeah. various passes on these lyrics feel very, um, yeah, they, they just, you can really sense what she's getting at. Um, even if, even if the lyric might not be the most specific or even if it is, um, um, I really liked the, I think you, you sort of talked about around this moment, but just to reemphasize, like one of my favorite musical moments was the, like, didn't mean it, baby, dun it, dun it, dun it, or whatever. Yeah. Like, I think that, that was really good. And then it just leads into the, like, electric guitar, like, solo, which, like, I don't know. It, it takes you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was a really good moment of, of having the instrumentation kind of like have its own verse, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that really like added a lot of um, feeling or <laughs> I've written emotional timbre mm-hmm. to the song. Um, so there you go. That's what I thought. Let's move on to the best the day. Best day. Um, I don't it's like nice- the song. I wanted to like this song. Yeah, I wanted to say that it's sweet and and like it. I know one one would think I would. One would think, Um, but but it it took me a while to figure out that it wasn't that who it was about. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, "What is happening?" Where I thought it was going to be another Mary song kind of thing at first. Mm. Um, Oh, I guess that does happen in. Song. <laughs> <laughs> Famously, like in childhood to old age, you know. Um, and so it it took me a while to figure out who was the subject of the song and what kind of was happening. Some of the lyrics you I was sold just on, like, "I have an excellent father." I wrote down, "I have an excellent father." I, I thought, thought myself, I also wrote up that. that lyric wow, too. interesting. <laughs> of all of all the ways to to express, like, hmm, I want to put into father. this song that I have an excellent father. How about <laughs> I have? <laughs> I know it's so much you know. about her mom, and then she's like, "I guess my dad's there too." Like, just, to, <laughs> just to clarify, he is excellent. Like, he is great. And so my brother also cool, I guess, if we had to have to talk about him. Um. I was like, I appreciate the sentiment trying to be expressed. How it's expressed is not my favorite. Mm -hmm. This one also, too. I'm like, I didn't I don't think you need the storybook connections. No. To be drawn. Why are you bringing in Snow White into this? Yeah. Yeah. The fairy tale ones. Like, why? Why? I don't know. I feel like that one's more about like. But yeah, I I agree. You don't need it, but I I feel like it's like if you're just trying in a in a similar way. <laughs> if you're like a I child and like figuring things out in the world, but 
But I don't know. No, I get you. I mean, I guess it's like the fairy. Like, yeah, okay. the fairy tale connections are like it's not just for romantic love. Right. It's for it's more like... familial love, and like I feel this magic from my mother as well, and my yeah. excellent father. <laughs> my excellent, excellent, father. excellent father. And I like that first really that lyric especially stood out to me because honestly, you know, her mom accompanied her a lot on tour and spent a lot of time with her and right around this time is when it would lead to the separation of her parents they they ended up actually getting uh. divorced so it's like it it almost feels like there's this narrative of her parents falling apart in the background that she yeah. hasn't noticed because she's like very childlike wow, in the song she's like my mom spends all this time with me and my dad's all right too i guess and then like uh. literally a year later they divorced <laughs> so like it's it's a it feels almost it feels almost like a parody. It's because it's like, it's so childlike. Right. And uh, to me, it reads as corny. And it's just like, we have this very yeah. soft percussion and shakers. Mm. And it's very delicate. And like, just in the outside context of it, it like, it it does not go well. And I feel like you sense that naivety yeah. in the song yeah. in a very not positive way. I did kind of I skip agree. through this one in um, my second listening to it. I was like, yo, yeah, I don't, there's not going to be too much for me. No. <laughs> yeah. I also skipped it a few times. I mean, I listened to the album a few times, but I was like, this one, I was like, I like want to find more good things to say about it, but I just, I don't think they're there to be had. Okay, look, <laughs> yeah. Taylor Swift is not, literally god like she does <laughs> you know what i mean like right. she can have this one <laughs> this is we'll by far her. like one of my least favorite songs of her entire discography um mm. i will say on a positive note there is definitely a trope in country music of men singing about their daughters in a very intimate way and this kind of is an inversion of it with um a daughter singing about her mom and just on ignoring everything else i thought that was a nice addition sure, to the canon yeah. of country yeah. music to, to foreground that kind of relationship. Yeah. I think it's just striking how well so many other songs take the idea behind them and and make it happen. And this one, it was like, <laughs> yeah, I see a great idea, and yet it just, it just is a very uh, stark comparison. It feels like a Mother's Day gift that somehow made the record. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, it's like we have to have thirteen songs quick. <laughs> oh my gosh, she probably her favorite number by far is thirteen, and everything she does has to be number thirteen. So it would not surprise me if she was like, well, I guess that song there I wrote is like a, a is a birthday gift. I guess I can we throw that on at the last second? It'll be way in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of defense for the song. Yeah. I certainly know I have friends who enjoy it, but um. Mm. They're not on the podcast, so you know, yeah. no one should defend it. <laughs> move on to Let's move on change. to the final track, Change. Yeah. I've um, written not very much about this, but I feel like I think it's funny what I've said. <laughs> and I've said, please. It feels like the end credit song to a superhero movie <gasps> in a way. Yes. Or like, like a military war movie or something. Who is this for? Like. <laughs> What revolution are you talking about? Because I just don't see it in it's, your life. Yes! Like, wait, yes, I wrote down the exact mom. same things. It's, okay, it's very strong. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, she's singing about revolution, but it's also very vague. And also, like, within right. the country genre, I'm like, this feels Republican. Yeah, <laughs> like, so, so yeah. and also so, like, 
not her. I, you know, and I, yeah, but yeah, dang. That's um, a good point, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. I was like, when, when people are singing, especially coming from like a country context and like when people are vague about their political leanings it almost always mm-hmm. means a more right-leaning Secession. ideology and that's what it feels like. like as soon as she's like this is a revolution but i'm not gonna say what revolution i'm like yeah mm-hmm. i know it's not but it not feels very republican <laughs> yeah um yeah the, the reveal is that apparently what she is singing and I, I i did have to look it up i was like what what is this song even about it's about her being signed to the smallest record label in nashville and like kind of even though that set her back, she she basically is now carrying um, not sure. just the record label, but the whole country music scene on her back. Mm-hmm. Even though like there, there was a lot of working against and her. And we sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. You know. <laughs> it just was such a weird ending track for me. It I was, was like, very who's, weird. Who's album yeah, is I'm, this? I was and, so confused. <laughs> <laughs> What Literally happened to the original plot of the for? movie? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that's why I actually kind of laughed when you said that so much of this music was cinematic, Emily, because this was one of the ones that I had the strongest <laughs> reaction in that way for. I was like, this definitely belongs in a movie because it doesn't make sense in any other context. Right. It's like, well, it can't have possibly been to be put on this album. It's like, could it be like Taylor Swift's submission for like the Hunger Games soundtrack? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I truly cannot imagine. I cannot imagine this happening. Like nobody, nobody in District 12 is singing Hallelujah. It's like, it's like, we sing Hallelujah. Uh, crying tears. Yeah, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, it's not. This is safe to say, not really for me. Yeah, yeah no, thank you. But um, she did enough. There were strong choices made, and yeah, I think that is, in a way, a proper ending to an album called Fearless. That she made strong choices. <laughs> I don't agree that they were good choices, but sure. they were her choices to be made. And she has this very dramatic. Choices, you can't grow. Right, like she had these very, very dramatic instrumentations. She literally ends with mm-hmm. a big timpani roll. So. She's like, that. that's my statement, and that's where I want to leave you. Um, mm-hmm. I particularly like the contrary motion at the end with the instruments, where, you know, some of them are, you know, they start in unison on Fs, and then they start to, mm. like, they start to move in different mm-hmm. directions and spread out and become more grand. Um, that was very nice, orchestration-wise. Mm-hmm. But that song has never resonated with me. I honestly no. think yeah. it's... Yeah. In her early career, it was... People would point to a clip of her singing this as uh, a showcase of her vocal abilities, but like this big note at the end is very middle right. register. It's it's not yeah. really impressive. It's like you're a great storyteller. The vocals, especially at this part of your career, not not exactly where you're gonna flex, Taylor. Right. I would I would not recommend that being how you go out <laughs> on the album. <laughs> when I saw the title change, I was like, oh, it's going to be about like the themes that I've kind of been picking up on about like looking back Mm. and thinking in retrospect and everything and realizing that like perhaps things in your life are changing and then I listened to it and I I was let down (laughs) I I would have liked the the song I expected to happen (laughs) <laughs> no tie-ups not even that and then to just go out <laughs> and out of left field with this <laughs> I, I i was at a loss for words i i wrote down 
nothing. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I was I'm, very speechless. We are all speechless. Yeah. <laughs> it's like apparently Taylor Swift had had some surprises yeah. <laughs> in store for me. Yeah. She said, "Hey Emily, don't try and predict what I'm going to do because you can't. You can't. You can't predict." I do like how both so. both our albums so far have ended on these like subtle or maybe not so subtle nods to Christianity. Like the mm. the first mm, one, yeah. um, our song was about getting down to pray, and this one yeah. is also it's now about singing hallelujah. hallelujah. So there's a little bit of a tie in there. Well, actually, the last two, like she has the whole like brother blessed by God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, in um, what's oh, it called? Best day. Um, to be honest, I stopped day. listening to the lyrics. At no, that point fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in there as also, yeah, it's like the ends and still the ending of the album. She really could have just ended with forever and always. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's okay. You know, uh, I felt like it carried the themes of the album, especially with it being about her success within this very small music label again sure. i've been saying that so much With of this album <laughs> yeah so much of this album is about her finding moments within her early teen years where she wanted to speak out and say more yeah. um and she wasn't able to and now coming into her power and being able to be this international songwriter she's sort of rewriting and reclaiming those moments and being able to say like this is what i wanted to say and now because i am uh, it's a little bit more reflective i am able to be more fearless and mm. in that way she has changed and she is able to like sing her yeah. hallelujah and sing her blessings yeah. and i think it ties together thematically i just don't know it's it doesn't it's not pleasing to the ear right <laughs> glance over the lyrics yeah. and that's all you need yeah it's, it's glance <laughs> over the title it's like and then she yeah. changed right that's yeah. great right <laughs> <laughs> Which I, 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 I was really thinking, I was like, I really wish there was a stronger ending to this album because I don't want to like, I don't want to go out on just like a turd of, a, of two songs, really. <laughs> a double whammy. I'm too us... excited for more for the next song. Yeah, it leaves us wanting something from we're, Speak Now. We're certainly is... wanting more. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. Like, what are, what are our overall impressions of the album? What has she improved upon and what remains to be seen? I'm just in terms of my personal taste, enjoying where she's going musically a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really enjoying the the drama and theatricality that I'm seeing in the narratives on a lot of these tracks. Um, and I am excited for that to continue growing. I hope that the orchestrations and the instrumentation only continues to find this synergy with her songwriting because it was that was a big uh definitely on the first album i enjoyed instrumentation which was a pleasant surprise to me on the second album i was pleasantly surprised by how they're getting even better and how, how well lush. they're working with yeah. her yeah how lush they are and so i'm only excited for that to keep being an aspect of her future works mm -hmm. um i am looking forward to an album that i'm as excited in the beginning as i was in fearless and also equally excited at the end of because that right. is something <laughs> i i got so 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 completely pumped with fearless that um i'm looking for the maybe to have a full-body a, a, experience <laughs> Yeah. A, a bigger a bigger finale to that wow well i, I was gonna say you know 
last week you asked, um, are we yet Swifties? And I will say, no, not yet. But not yet. I'm, not yet. Two albums yet. down, seven to but go. I'm, yeah. But I'm, I... I'm, 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 I am excited in the directions that she's going in. Um, I'm glad that we're doing this project because I, part of me is also like, I don't know if I would have, if I had started this project for myself, just listening to all of them, I think I might've stopped now. Um, and not like, not that this album wasn't good or even that it wasn't better, but I think it was just, um, there were just enough things that I was like, nah, that I might not have pushed myself forward. So I am actually really excited to go into now what will be like more uncharted territory because i feel like we're moving starting to move into the albums that i probably have heard fewer and fewer songs off of mm-hmm. um mm. so yeah i i think that um I, I agree with emily in terms of what i really liked the drama the specificity and the way that the music really complements her her performance of her lyrics ultimately as I said, this is still the most awarded album in country music history. It was mm. widely regarded, um, highly successful commercially and critically. And uh, I think it was definitely driven by the strength of the singles and her being able to transition from being this small, small town girl in a one horse town to starting to, <laughs> to beef up her songs into more of a cinematic quality and sing about those experiences, but from a more theatrical angle mm-hmm. um mm. i'm very glad in many ways that we didn't do the original thought that you had emily which was to listen to her songs backwards because mm. i can't imagine and i can't imagine you ending here mm-hmm. you know no. <laughs> i'm really glad i'm not ending here too <laughs> <laughs> we'll sing hallelujah <laughs> all right that is our episode Now, I didn't think I'd ever have to issue a political disclaimer on this podcast, but this was recorded at the beginning of January, so no remarks about revolution were purposely made in just of any events at the Capitol. We'll be back in two weeks, and in the meantime, you can put faces to these voices by following our Instagram at taylor underscore podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.